Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 10th episode of our Yes, I'm a Closer podcast. We appreciate you tuning in. My name is Dominic Caminata, co-owner and founder of Garas University. Those of you that follow me know that one of my true passions in life, of course, is training salespeople and sales managers to become true master agents of influence, true warriors of the sales profession. And that's why you can see behind me there is the Spartan Warrior helmet. That's really the, the symbol of our entire company and the core of what we really talk about on our podcast. And if you've watched our podcast before, of course, the previous episodes, we've had successful entrepreneurs, we've had mindset coaches, um, and we've had guys like Jordan Belford, Kevin Harrington, you name it. But really the core of our Yes, I'm a Closer podcast, of course, is helping sales professionals become more successful and of course, close more deals more often. You know, we think about this, not just from a sales perspective, but really in life, we feel it's important to understand sales strategy. Whether you have children at home, if you're in a relationship, or you're trying to excel in your business as an entrepreneur, having a strong sales background is gonna help you leaps and bounds over pretty much any other technique you can learn. You know, when I'm dealing with sales professionals, I do large seminars or large group trainings. I'll often ask salespeople, how would they define what a salesperson is? What is the true definition of a salesperson? And of course, I get a lot of mixed results, mixed feedback from the, the sales professionals. Sometimes no answer at all. And I'm talking to people that in some cases have 20 or more years of sales experience. They have a hard time defining truly what a salesperson is all about. So at Grass University, we define salespeople as agents of influence that can influence other people in the direction in which they want them to go. So think of that from a general sense, being able to influence other people in the direction in which you want them to go, right? Is that something that occurs when you have children, <laughs> trying to influence their behavior, influence the decisions that they make, right? If you're in a relationship, being able to influence with your spouse, a lot of the big life choices that you make, the letting you go golfing with your buddies on a Sunday, right? Being able to influence decisions is really a core of life. And of course, we feel that having a strong sales background is gonna springboard you forward and help you become more successful at really any, any aspect of your life. And that's why we're really excited about today's podcast because we know that the guest on today's podcast shares that same love and passion for the art of sales that we do. And he's been pursuing this, this profession of sales for over 30 years. And as a result has become one of the, the most decorated sales trainers and sales professionals in the business. He's a a common contributor to multiple magazines, including Pro Sales Magazine and Remodeling Magazine. He's a, a very busy sales trainer for Atrium and Simonton Windows. And somehow in his free time, <laughs> he's also managing to run a successful consulting business and is known throughout the industry as the sales guy. And that's literally what his consulting business is called. And you can look at him. We'll give you the information on his website, thesalesguy.com. Uh, so without further ado, we're really excited to introduce uh, a one true sales warrior himself, the one and only Mr. Brian McCulley. So Brian, I <laughs> appreciate you being on the podcast here today. How's it going? Going well, Dominic. How you been? Fantastic, as always. Um, so again, I just want to let the salespeople know watching this to get their notepads out. Definitely be prepared to write some stuff down. I know there's going to be a lot of goodies, little golden nuggets they can extract from the podcast. But just kind of starting at the beginning, Brian, uh, just go ahead and give our viewers just a, a brief background as to your sales history and how this has evolved and you've become known throughout the business as the sales guy. All right. Hey, thanks. And appreciate it. Really good to be with you guys here today. Uh, I've been in this business, the building materials business, for almost 30 years. And spent a great deal of that time, uh, probably 25 years of that, in the distribution side of the business. And about five years ago, I moved over to the manufacturing side of the business, which is a different world. But what I did realize is how it was going to help grow exposure. You know, in the distribution business, you know what you know in the company you work for. And you know a little bit about your competitors, but what you think you know about your competitors. But in the manufacturing world, I have gotten to get fairly intimate with a lot of different uh, distribution companies and learn their leadership and some of their business practices and, and get some exposure there. And it was at one of those times I was speaking at a, uh, at a national meeting for one of these other distributors in my role as director of sales training for Atrium and Sonic. And after my presentation at their national meeting, we were in their show area and a gentleman came up, asked, he was Craig Webb, who at the time was the editor of Pro Sales Magazine. 
if I'd like to write for that publication, I told him, I said, Craig, I'm not sure I, I got enough to write about. You know what I mean? He said, well, you, know, you spent 45 minutes up there talking to those folks and you probably had eight to nine columns worth of content just right there. So I thought about it a little bit and then I just called him up and decided I was going to do it. And that's been almost three years ago. And, and as you mentioned, uh, probably about six, seven months ago, started writing for Remodeling Magazine. So with that extra exposure, seeing different uh, distribution companies, buying groups, and then, you know, they've got over 30,000 subscribers to those magazines, you start being known in, in, in different circles. And so I started getting some opportunities and some invites to speak you know, at other people's events outside of what I do for Atrium and Symington. And so I got my first one back in September or October. And I decided that at that time to go ahead and start the sales guide. And so I got a web, website developed uh, for a more professional image and keep all my content out there. And I've gotten a few other uh, uh, clients, so to speak, in that side of the business as well. So that's kind of the Reader's Digest version of, of who I am and, and what I've been doing for the last uh, 25, 30 years. Yeah, I've been reading through a lot of your articles. And the great thing is, is <clears throat> how that the, the information you're sharing really comes from experience, right? Because you can tell when someone's writing that maybe it's something that they read in a book or did they actually live it, right? They actually yeah. use these strategies personally in the home. And they know them to be tried and true and effective. That way, we know when we're reading the information from Brian McCauley, it's not based in theory. And, and that's something that we really appreciate and we really admire. And it's you know, why we definitely wanted to have you on the show. And it was actually our marketing guy, Cody Henson, that uh, he was the first one to come across your articles. And as soon as he started reading through, he's like, Dominic, you got to meet this guy. I mean, this guy really knows his stuff. And you think he can bring a lot of value to the, the podcast. So. So actually, you know, you know congratulations on all that. I appreciate it. It's funny that you mentioned it because uh, when Craig Webb saw me at that meeting, he, he's a pretty sharp dude. He does his homework. He went around behind me. He was asking other people that I work with that were at, at this show too. He said, is this guy really for real? And our guys were saying, yeah, what he's telling you, these stories are, are things that he's really done and really been a part of. So yeah, he's he, he, he's not just, you know, giving you a bunch of fluff. If he's going to tell you a story, it's, he, he's pretty much lived it. And I think that's important, especially in the, the home improvement, home services industry, that if you're going on in front of a group of sales professionals trying to tell them how to do their job, they can kind of sense when people have that real world experience and when they don't. Yeah. And of course, if, if someone's trying to preach, you know, here's how you do things, right? And then the salesperson knows that, you know, when's the last time this guy actually executed this in a home successfully with a real prospect? You know, it's hard for that sales trainer, or that sales leader, even that keynote speaker to have an impact on that audience if they don't have that real world experience. Right. And of course, uh, you know, you've trained thousands of salespeople. And, you know, me personally right now, I'm actually starting a sales management mastermind group. So I'm getting together 20 bright, uh, hungry sales leaders, sales managers to, to learn their craft. And in terms of uh, sales training, I guess, let me ask you, what do you love about sales training itself? And what do you feel is really uh, an important aspect of being an effective sales trainer or sales leader for those managers that may be watching? Yeah, I'd say from, a, uh, from being a sales trainer, you know, what I get out of it is, you know, every day seems like it's different. You know, before coronavirus hit, and we were out, you know, just blowing and going. I mean, I was on 200, 225 flights, you know, a year, you know, wow. two, three, four cities every day going week. And it's, it, it, it's, it, it's, you know, grass is never growing under your feet. You know, you're busy, you're running and you're, and you're making things happen. Um, I like to be able to positively affect people. You know, I'm not the kind of guy that's going to stand in front of an audience and say, I have all the answers. I don't have all the answers. You know, I have some tips and some strategies and some tactics that, that may work. And, and I try to be really relatable uh, to the audiences, but I'm not going to get up and preach. You know, I try to learn something new every day. And I hope other people try to take that same, that same strategy and that same type. So it, it's really trying to help other people and also broaden your own exposure and broaden your own knowledge base as well. Yeah. One of the things that I think that I don't think people really appreciate from a training perspective is the amount of preparation and planning that has to go in uh, to these talks, to these events, to these meetings. 
And I think you can take that same uh, lesson forward, even if you're managing salespeople. You know, you you got to do some planning and some preparation ahead of coaching or managing salespeople in order for it to be effective. And people just don't understand the the how much time and effort that really takes. I mean, just for this little thing you and I are doing today, I'm sure on your end, you've done a lot of preparation and a, and a lot of planning for this. We've had some communications back and yep. forth, but just the physicality of your space. You know, I've spent probably an hour, an hour and a half before we ever got on our Zoom call today, making sure things were right where I was at so that when we do start to go, uh, we, we, we get the finished product that we want. So Yeah, I mean, I spent a lot of time. Critical. I spent a lot of time just making sure my hair looked just right for this podcast, you know, <laughs> but you know, you brought up a lot of very important points and this is why a lot of times the top salesperson isn't always the best sales trainer because you can't be a selfish, you know, egotistical self-centered person and be an effective leader. You got to be more selfless and have that humility that you described where you can go out in front of the group. And be like, you know, I understand the game. I'm an effective coach, but I don't have all the answers. You know, I don't pretend to know everything about everything. You know, I want to learn just as much from coaching you or speaking to this group as I teach to you as well. It's a two-way street. And when you're a really, when you know you hit the, the nail on the head with this being the, the right profession for you, is when you really just, you never lose that craving for more knowledge and being able to help people succeed. You know, when I was a sales trainer full-time at the, the home improvement company I worked for, my, one of my most favorite things in life, I'd be smiling ear to ear, is when I get a, a sales rep that's green coming in, he doesn't have two pennies to rub together, and you give him this gift of this sales training, and you pour your heart and soul into it, right? All, leave it all on the table, and then you watch that individual go out and make multiple six-figure income and change their life overnight, just like that. Yeah. Uh, and that's what you have to appreciate. Now, obviously, it's not like we, we don't like money. Obviously, we like making money. But really, the, the most fulfilling part of being a, an effective leader and sales trainer, it has to be that desire to help people and just the love of the game. And of course, watching people grow and succeed and learning every day, right? Yeah. Yeah, you brought up some really good points there. Now, of course, our podcast here is called the Yes, I Am a Closer podcast. So we're really big on closing sales and being a more effective sales professional. And our step-selling methodology that we train on, we call it a velvet hammer. And we call it a velvet hammer because again, we, our mindset when we enter the house is we wanna earn the business while we're there, right? On the one sit. However, we don't wanna ever come off high pressure, right? We don't wanna telegraph our punches or have the homeowner feel like they're being hit. <laughs> we call it the velvet hammer. But it is a one sit close system. and our, our methodology always errs on the side of strike well and the iron's hot, right? Trying to earn their business while we're there. Then we understand there's more complex products that, are, that exist where you have to two-stage it or sometimes even three-stage it. But more often than not, in a window and bath game or even siding and roofing, we always err on the side of that one sit close. So I'm just curious, obviously, you're, you're a very decorated sales trainer. You've been in the industry for a while. What is your opinion on the one sit close or one call close philosophy? And I guess, why do you feel that companies could benefit adopting the right one sit close system? Yeah, I, I, I think you're 100% right in that you got to strike while the iron's hot. And, and I believe anytime you find yourself in a sales encounter as a salesperson, the one thing you always need to do is ask for that business yeah. every single time. And not every salesperson does. And in, 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 in that avenue, I wholeheartedly agree with the one set close kind of philosophy and that we need to ask for the order every single time. And I've seen cus co companies do it, you know, other ways too as well. And it seems to work for them too. You know, I've seen companies that may have a, uh, a in-home visit where they get information and start figuring out, you know, what kind of product and that sort of thing they want to offer. And then they have the second appointment back at their turf in their nice showroom where they can show several different samples of the product and, you know, get them on their turf and be able to, you know, move them and persuade them to the close. And it seems to work for those guys. There are mm -hmm. folks that are just like you all that are one set close and you make it happen that night and it works for them. You know, I'd say whatever works for you and keep doing what works for you. You know what I mean? 
But the one thing that I, I love about the one set close is it, it forces you or encourages or persuades you as a salesperson to be in the habit of asking for that business every single time. And I can't tell you how many times I've seen salespeople walk away from opportunities and not really ask for the order. Yeah, it's crazy because, you know, they, they say the studies show that salespeople don't even handle one objection before they pack up and leave or don't even ask for the order one time on average, right? And I always, I always preach that as an advantage, right? Because that tells you that there's really not a lot of competition for a, a true well-trained sales professional, right? And it all ties back into fear, right? A lot of salespeople, one of the, the things that all human beings fear is, of course, being rejected. And a lot of times, psychologically, they classify objections as being rejected, when really they're two totally different things, right? Really being rejected is something that you'll experience if you're prospecting, canvassing, you know, interrupting people, you get doors slammed in your face, people swearing at you. Objections, of course, are just like Jordan Belfort says, smoke screens for uncertainty or stalls or sometimes even reflexes. But that fear of being rejected a lot of times prevents people from even asking for the order one time. And we kind of joke around about it. We say, we figured out a way that you can, you can be in sales and you never have to deal with objections or rejection ever again. All you have to do is never again ask for anything ever. And on top of that, probably don't associate yourself with any human interaction as long as you live. <laughs> then you'll yeah, never probably. have to deal with objections or objections ever again. But in the world of sales, we always use the analogy, a sales rep that's afraid to ask for the business and go for the no is like a firefighter that is afraid of fighting fires. <laughs> it's like, uh, so you gotta be able to overcome that fear. And I think a lot of that comes from proper preparation, drilling, rehearsing, developed an obstacle immunity and having the right system so you don't have to think, right? Because there's a lot of emotions that we're battling that prevent us from doing that too. And I had a sales guy tell me one time, he said, Brian, things have to get a little uncomfortable yeah. in that home and that selling situation in order to get to yes. You know, it's not just, usually it's not just some, you know, rose colored glasses we're looking through and paint, streets paved with gold and it's easy to do. He said, a lot of times it's gotta get a little uncomfortable to get yeah. from a no to get to a yes. And, and, and who's comfortable with that uncomfortableness? Yeah, exactly. And that's why it's tough a lot of times for salespeople because it's not just asking for the business. You got to be confident and assertive when you ask as well. You can't be timid or beat around the bush, right? So you yeah. got to be able to go ahead first into it. And that's, it just comes with practice and repetition and really drilling that into your head over and over, develop that obstacle immunity. So you can do that with confidence. But it was crazy. Um, there's a lot of studies on that. That one element right there, those of you sales professionals watching, just simply going from a timid, more beater on the bush type of approach where you're, you're not so confidently asking for the business to confidently and assertively you know, being assumptive with the ask, that right there can double your closing percentage because the customer, you know, people respond in kind. And if you're not confident when you ask for their business, guess who else isn't going to feel confident saying yes, your prospect, right? So, I mean, just that topic alone is like a whole podcast in itself, right? <laughs> so yeah, very, very exciting stuff. Now, of course, aside from closing, you know, we're firm believers on a step selling system, right? A step-by-step -step paint by numbers process that takes a sales representative from the moment, essentially they roll out of bed in the morning, <laughs> So the moment they close the sale, everything in between exactly how to navigate the day as a sales professional, but also run the lead the right way. Uh, what's your thought on step selling processes and why do you feel that that's also in addition to closing an important element to a sales organization? Yeah, I, think it's, I think it's very important because it gives the salesperson a roadmap because uh, the salesperson is under a lot of pressure. You know, you're going into somebody's home, uh, you either you may need the sale really bad or it could be some extraneous circumstances. You're trying to build rapport and some different things and your mind's going in a bunch of different directions. And you can get way off track really easy if you don't have a process in which to kind of fall back on. You know, I was taught early in sales that customers make five decisions when they decide who, what, when, and where to buy. They decide on the salesperson, the company that person's representing, the products they're selling, the price of those products, and then whether or not it's time for them to buy or not. And then they tend to make those decisions in that sequence. Now, 
you know, they're making judgments on your company and your product before you ever get there. If they, if they hadn't made positive judgments, you wouldn't be there, if you know what I mean. But mm -hmm. most of these step sales processes follow that, where you're trying to condition or build trust and credibility in yourself. And then you move into the company, the product and the price, and then ask for the order. So I agree with any kind of step process that kind of follows the way a buyer is making a decision. It seems to make rational sense. It makes it easier for the buyer to kind of follow you along in that process. Yeah, this is, uh, you know, I, I attribute step selling systems to why I had any success in this business. Um, I came into this industry 11 years ago with no sales experience. This is my, <laughs> my first sales job in the planet earth. And I was lost, you know, I didn't know what, what I was doing. I didn't know how to close the door with the wind behind me. I mean, I, I couldn't afford clothes at the time, much less know how to close the sale. Um, but having this step selling system, like you said, this is the roadmap that I believed in and I followed and executed. And I'm really grateful that I had that with the company that I work for. And just simply following the step selling system, almost robotically, my first several leads, my first month, probably, I had a lot of success. I closed my first seven deals in a row, just following the system, not knowing, awesome. not ever having done it before in my life. And now where's my belief, right? Yeah. And uh I never look back. And that's, that's the beauty of it is if, if a salesperson comes in and they master the process and they have a, a good work ethic, a phenomenal attitude, literally the, the potential for success is truly unlimited. And I've seen that where people come into this business, they don't know anything about construction, never did an in-home selling in their life. And they learn the step selling process. And all of a sudden they become a two or $3 million producer their first year. And there's a lot of things that have to happen there, but that's the beauty of it. Having that roadmap for them to follow. They say, you know, if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. So that, that provides. And I think that's a problem with sales management too, in, in a lot of different industries. I see it on the distribution side as well as the in-home side. You just, mm -hmm. you get a new salesperson, you bring them on, you may give them some product information and then you cut them loose, man. They're left up to their own devices to go out there and either make it happen or, or not make it happen. Yeah, and if you don't have a process, then you're just setting it up for failure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's crazy that 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 still exists in organizations. And there's a lot of things where, you know, they give them the samples, say good luck, sink or swim, or the training is not really structured. It's kind of all over the board where they have 34 salespeople doing it 34 different ways. Uh, yeah, so absolutely. having that consistency. And I think it's important, not just from the sales perspective, but if I'm going to be an effective coach, I need to have that roadmap to hold my salespeople accountable to, because it's hard to steer them in the right direction if there is no direction. Yeah, yeah. It helps the salesperson, of course, uh, in terms of his path and his profession. But if I'm a sales manager and a sales leader, it really makes a big difference. And I don't know about yourself, but that gave me all the confidence in the world as a sales leader, knowing that step selling process. So when I'm observing a salesperson, I can pinpoint exactly where they're falling short, where they're skipping or struggling, or they simply omitted certain things that they, they shouldn't have, uh, it really helped me with that hands-on coaching and molding of salespeople. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So now in terms of any step selling system, one thing that I'm a firm believer in that I would always train my salespeople strictly on is scripts, scripting. And obviously there's mixed reviews on scripts. The most common thing I hear, Brian, is, you know, I don't want to learn a script because then I sound robotic. I don't, I don't sound authentic, right? And my answer to that always is, well, think of any movie you've ever watched or, you know, think of, obviously we've been going through a lot of political stuff in the United States lately, right? Everything's politicized now. But how intelligent do politicians sound when they're off script? <laughs> now you take that same really? politician with a well-rehearsed script and all of a sudden they sound pretty compelling, right? So it's not just the script that you need to learn. It's obviously knowing it well enough and working on the tonality and the delivery so it becomes your voice. So that's always my response. But I'm curious what your thoughts are on having scripted parts. Obviously you can't script the whole thing, but having scripted components that are important that the salespeople are required to learn. Yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's very important, especially in, in that in-home sales uh, line of work. Uh, I think you're, you're dead on. Uh, people sound more compelling if they know what they're going to say before they say it because they've been saying it the same way for so long, as opposed to somebody that's just 
ad living. You know, now I agree with you. One of the things you do often hear is I don't want to appear canned or robotic. So I think there's a, a there has to be a little bit of give and take. So maybe I take the uh, the spirit of whatever the script is and can put it in my own words yep. to make it more to make it more me. You know, it's like I I, I don't want to use a hundred dollar word if a five dollar word will work. You know what I mean? So I right. want to be able to have the flexibility in that script. There's so many things in, in life that somebody just seems, and you've probably heard this yourself. I mean, I've, I've presented to people and they've come up and they said, you seem like a natural at this. <laughs> I don't think anybody's a natural at that. You know, right. it's planning, it's preparation, it's delivering a, a similar set of messages the same way over and over and over again. Uh, just to your point about, you know, movie stars with scripts. So, so, I, so I think either scripts or some sort of really solid direction of what needs to be communicated uh, one way or the other. It, it always helpful. Yeah, I always think of the, the sales training process kind of like getting golf lessons, right? So if you, if you go to talk to a golf coach, he's not going to say, hey, hold the club however you want and stand however you want and just start hacking away, right? <laughs> he's going to take you through step by step exactly how to properly grip the club, how to position the ball in your stance, your backswing, your follow through the 101, how a, a proper golf swing takes place. Now, that doesn't mean, though, I can go out on the, the golf course and hit 300-yard drives every single time and all of a sudden be a, a birdie golfer, right? So what I have to do now is take that foundation of information that he gave me, kind of like your script, but now I need to go out on the course and or the driving range and hit the ball thousands of times, and I'm going to develop my true authentic swing, my true authentic way of swinging the club. And that kind of goes to your point where, once you have that, that script memorized, that gives you the ability now to make it authentic, make it your own. And whether it's tweaking, modifying the delivery, changing a couple of the words, uh, but you know that doesn't mean I take the script and throw it in the garbage and start holding yeah. the golf club like this. Yeah, uh, I, still, I still know the foundation, it's still all there, I just made it my own. Because one big thing in sales, is, of course, authenticity, you gotta be authentic. And that's where you come off, your, people perceive you as a natural, right? Because you are being authentic. You have made it your own. And now this is my authentic way of deliver, delivering the message. It comes across naturally. I think it goes back to planning and preparation too. I mean, you know, I, I may have a certain canned talk or presentation uh, that I've done, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of times. But yeah. if I hadn't done that presentation for three or four weeks, you don't think that I'm just going to hop up in front of a group of 100 people without any kind of planning or preparation. I'm going to go back and look at that stuff again and in my mind work through the messaging and what do I want to say? How do I want to say it? So I think a lot of things come down to planning and preparation. And I think scripting is one of them. And I think having that core script there as your foundation is important because as you very well know, you have that habitual reinforcement of bad habits that occurs with salespeople, right? Where they go into a house and they deliver a word track or a script or a one-liner and it gets a negative response or it doesn't lead to a sale. So then the next time they omit that or they change it or they cover a certain slide and that gets a negative response. So then they skip it the next time. And then weeks and months of that, all of a sudden, three months later, they're so far off script and so far in left field, they got to have that foundation they can come back to be like, okay, let's go back to where I started. So I'm not so far off script that I don't even know where to go anymore, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it helps with that. I, I kind of refer to it kind of like lane assist, right? It's just like your car. It's like you drift off your lane, it steers you right back. So having that lane assist, that direction to go at all times, uh, it helps for a long-term career in the business for sure. Exactly, yep, you're right. Um, now, talking about some of your articles, um, you know, I refer to one of your articles, you, you talked about sending unintended messages in a sales encounter, right? And salespeople need to be cognizant of the unintended messages that they are sending to the prospect. So I just kind of want you to, it, you know, fill us in a little bit what you meant by unintended messages and what are some things salespeople can do to guard against uh, sending those messages. Yeah, it was mostly that the thought, the idea, and the theories around, you know, your body language and your tonality and the messages that you deliver with your body and your words. And if what's coming out of my mouth is not lining up with what I'm doing with my body language, I'm sending some mixed messages. You know, that article specifically was about appearance. And, you know, and I wrote it because I'm, I'm seeing and I'm seeing it everywhere, not just our industry, but everywhere. But our 
our acceptance of how we appear to our customers is really starting to, to go down in my ever to be humble opinion. And so, you know, but I think appearance takes three different buckets. There's, there's how I look or how you look. There's how our sales tools look and, and how our vehicles look, you know, and I, but I, I'll, I'll talk to salespeople all the time, man, that go into the home, you know, blue jeans, t-shirt, hoodie, ball cap, that sort of thing. And they say, you know, I, I, I got to dress that way, man. You know, I, I got kind of a, you know, a rural area right here and I don't want to dress too far above my customers. And Frankly, I call BS on that. I, I say you dress that way for two reasons. Number one, you can, and number two, you want to. Yeah. But uh, I, like you said, I've, I've been coast to coast and ridden with hundreds and hundreds of salespeople over 30 years. And mm -hmm. you're never going to find anybody that I went and spent time with that'll tell you I was dressed any differently than I am today. Yeah. Collar shirt, pair of dress slacks, and a pair of dress shoes. Mm -hmm. I think if you want to be a professional, you need to look like a professional. Now, I also know that falls on deaf ears a lot of times, people in our business. I was in actually Wisconsin. Might have been your backyard. I was talking to a group of salespeople, and I gave that thought on personal appearance. And this dude looked at me, and he said, Brian, I can't disagree with that statement anymore, which is a pretty hard line in the sand. And I said, well, what is it about what I said? It's got you so balled up. He said, I'm telling you, if you go into one of my customers' homes dressed like that, they're going to think you're some swarmy salesperson. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, brother, I got news for you. I go into your customer's house before you. I could go in there after you. And within two minutes, they're thinking anything but swarmy salesperson. It's called relatability. Yes. He said, well, I agree with that 100%. I'm like, man, have an opinion and stick to it. Don't get bounced off <laughs> of it that day on him. What I should have told him, because it was in, it was right here on tip of my tongue, but I did. What I should have said is, let's say you and I go into your customer's house together. You dress like you dress. I dress like I dress. Who are they going to think I am? And the answer is his boss, you know, which gives yeah. me a higher level of perceived authority, mm -hmm. uh, competence, credibility for no other reason than the way I'm dressed. You know, right. I could be dumb as a, a coal bucket. <laughs> but you dress like a professional, at least that perception of you. And then I talked about sales tools. Because, I mean, if you're going in the home to sell, man, you better not take out a window sample or vinyl siding sample or shingle sample or a decking sample or whatever. It had to be dusty, dirty, broke, you know. Yep. Take care of your stuff. You know, if you're pulling out that kind of sample, man, it's sending some bad messages to that customer. If he can't. If she or he or she can't take care of that, how are they going to take care of my job? And it extends to your literature, your proposals, your quotes, you know, not uh, scribbling something on a piece of paper and laying it out there to them. You know, what's the scope of the work? What am I responsible for? What's this going to look like? What's a detailed breakdown of the price? And then your vehicle. You know, I, one of the challenges I, I always heard before we ever even heard and knew what COVID was I hear from salespeople, in-home salespeople, that there are a lot of times I don't even get in the house. I'm pitching from the front porch. I'm pitching from the driveway. I can imagine it's even worse. It's been much exacerbated now. So I can see an instance where I'm in somebody's front yard, maybe going over my offering, and something's in my vehicle, and I have to go get it for them, and they may follow me to the vehicle. And if I open up the door of my car or my truck or my van, and it looks like a bomb went off in there. You know, there's cheeseburger wrappers wadded up, stuff all over the place, post-it notes all over the dashboard. It sends a bad message. So we're on point as salespeople. You know as well as anybody, Dominic, how, how much it costs to get good, hard leads to get in somebody's home. You know, if you're not on point when you hit that door, and that's a, that's a tough spot to be in. So make sure from an appearance standpoint, you're sending the messages that you want to send because you control that. Nobody else does. You control that. Yeah, there's so many uh, great points. And that's why I love that article. This is something that I was always very fanatical about as a sales trainer, sales manager. And I would do mandatory sample checks with my salesperson every other week where they had to bring their soft packs into the sales meetings and we'd make sure that everything's clean, tidy, and organized. And one thing I trained my salespeople to do is every window presentation, don't just tell them the window tilts in for cleaning. Actually clean the dang window. Actually show them, let them experience it. Have them clean it. It's two things. One, it keeps your window looking pretty, but it gives them that, you know, their role play in their mind with it, that how amazing it's going to be owning their windows. And then, you know, you go on ride alongs with a salesperson and you see that you got to move the pile of trash off to the side so you can even sit down in the car with them. I always say my salesperson's vehicles 
It's not that they were so clean you could eat off the floors. It's because they're so dirty you could literally eat off the floors. Like an all-you-can-eat buffet sitting there. So cleaning their vehicles out because, you know, being clean and organized is a lifestyle. It's not something you just turn on or off. And, of course, clothing, right? They say up to 90% of their first impression on you is based on how you dress. And within seconds, they're making those judgments on you. And you want to give yourself the upper hand. So I tell my salespeople, before you leave your house, can you honestly tell yourself that you're dressed like a top leading professional in your chosen profession? Is the way you're dressed going to help project and give the perception of the level of quality and the level of professionalism that I want my customers to believe? And when I go on ride-alongs, it always amazes me. You know, you get in the car and you could tell that the salesperson wore that same shirt for the last three weeks, probably didn't even wash it. You could smell from like, you know, five feet off. It's like, oh my God, when's the last time you washed that shirt? And it's all those little unintended messages. And it's amazing how much of an impact that makes. But especially if you're a sales leader, sales manager, I would highly encourage in your governing document for your sales team, your policy and procedure, have a structured dress code, a requirement. Now you don't have to go crazy. You don't have to require a three-piece suit, but like you said, a nice collared shirt, company logo, branding, a nice pair of slacks, dress pants, nice clean shoes, because all that's going to do is going to help your salespeople give that perception of value, quality, professionalism, service a lot easier. Uh, there's so many uh, important points about that. And then another point to that, you know, from a, uh, from a sales leader or a business owner prospect, you, you got to live that too. Yeah. I mean, don't tell your salespeople to have their cars all neat and shiny and clean if yours isn't, you know, don't tell them the importance of all this appearance. If they walk into your all showroom and although on the front side of the showroom looks pretty good, you walk back in the back in the offices and everything's a mess. You know what I mean? So yeah. if you're going to preach it, you got to kind of live it too. And if they, if they sense that from a cultural perspective, easier for them to adopt and grab. Yeah. And that's a very important point you just brought up there is really anything I'm trying to get my sales team to do. I need to emulate that myself. Uh, you know, mastery of the sales process, understanding of it, being able to go into the house and execute it the right way, um, you know, dress attire, all that stuff, even health and wellness. It was crazy. Uh, while I was a sales trainer, I did a few bodybuilding competitions. And obviously it's very, it takes a lot of discipline and you have to really be strict. And it was always funny to me that while I was losing weight for these competitions, I noticed like half my sales team miraculously would all of a sudden be working out more and being in better shape. But that's the power that you have as that leader. They're going to look up to you, not just for sales coaching, but, you know, guidance on how to, how to live a better lifestyle and, of course, be more organized and all those things that you're, that you're talking about. Very, very important. Yeah, absolutely. Of course, uh, one thing that we hear a lot in sales, one of the most important weapons of influence we have in sales, of course, is asking questions. And at Grass University, we always say that Questions are the answers and selling is not telling. And Rick Gross always, he's told me, he's like, Dominic, telling is really arguing. And when you tell the customer something, it's an opinion, they can choose not to agree with it, right? However, if I know how to properly organize and orchestrate my questioning and practice true deep listening in such a way where I can get them to tell me things and open up to me, all of a sudden that becomes a fact that's part of their belief system. And you always look at prospects like icebergs, right? You're really 80% of what you need to get to the root of is beneath the surface. And you're never gonna get that information without knowing how to ask the right questions. Uh, so I guess, let me ask you, Brian, what would be some advice that you give to salespeople to help enhance their questioning skills so they can get more to the root of maybe hidden objections, maybe the emotion, some of the more emotional triggers that you can obviously use throughout your, the process to influence those people. Yeah, we could probably talk for you know days on just asking questions. <laughs> yeah. in, in business to consumer sales, I believe it's the number one skill you got to have as a salesperson to be successful. Now, you know, also I also think that uh, salespeople, and I think here's the rub: most salespeople think they're a lot better at asking questions than they really are. Yeah. And so if, if my perception of my ability to ask questions is, is here, I'm never going to work to get any better. Mm -hmm. And I believe questioning is a skill that you got to practice, you know, daily. You got to continue to hone your ability to ask questions. We mentioned scripting other. I mean, I think if I'm going in the home, I should have a list of six or seven questions that I ask nearly every 
single time. Now, where the conversation goes after those questions is going to vary, but there's certain questions that I, I need to ask. I was always taught in sales that an objection is a customer's response to an unasked question. Meaning if I do a better job during that needs assessment or needs identification part of a call, I'll either handle objections before they come up, uh, give me ammunition to handle them once they do come up. But, and, and, I, and I always, that always plays itself out as true when you do an objection handling exercise and whether it's a price objection or whatever it might be, uh, salespeople always go back and ask more questions. So if you've got to go back and ask more questions to handle an objection, consider adding those questions in to your needs assessment. Uh, you mentioned emotion. Yeah. And I think questions can help there as well. I always teach that there are three words that I think will make you a better questioner almost overnight. And I use an acronym to make it easier to remember. But my acronym is CIA. And I use CIA because those folks are pretty good at asking questions. But my three mm -hmm. words are consequences, impacts, and effects with an A. I use it as a verb, not a noun. So CIA, consequences, impacts, and effects. And here's what I mean by that. I could be a salesperson for a home improvement company and I go into the Smith's house and I have Mrs. Smith follow me around. I'm doing some window measurements on the inside and, and going through my needs identification. And we walk into a room, let's say it's a, a wall, it faces west, it's, it's not in Wisconsin. So during the summer, it's kind of warm and it's in the afternoon, sun's beating in there. And that warms, that room's a lot warmer than other rooms in the house. And so I feel that, I asked Mrs. Smith, it's, it's kind of warm in here, isn't it? She said, yeah. It gets that way, especially this time of day and this time of the year, it can get quite uncomfortable. You know, a typical salesperson, if, if they're faced with a challenge or a problem, they start selling to it. Yeah. Man, you won't have that problem in my windows. We put a coating on that glass called low E, acts like a mirror, it blocks that heat back out. This room will stay as cool as a cucumber. How many do you want? You know, ready to start selling. <laughs> right. Anytime you're faced with a customer's issue, challenge, or problem, you should immediately think, I wonder what the consequences impacts or effects are of that situation mm -hmm. and then ask so now i walk into the room and i make the comment that it's warmer and she said yeah it always gets that way this time of day this time of year well, let me ask you how does that affect how you all use the space well now that you mention it you know on the weekends when we should be enjoying this space you know my husband's out in the garage i'm in the kitchen and the kids are up in their rooms piddling on their ipad mm -hmm. you know now when i talk about my product designed to keep this room cooler. Now, man, you use this space for what it's designed for to bring you all together. You know, yeah. if I talk about consequences, impacts, and effects in the home, then I'm doing two things. I'm increasing the emotional level of that customer to want to fix this problem, and I'm increasing the urgency. And the faster I can get those two things working for me, the better off I am. Yeah, that, that is a, when I read that in that article, that was a very, very clever way and so important because you, you hit the nail on the head there that salespeople immediately go into sales mode and start selling during the inspection part or when they're, when they're doing the needs assessment. And you really got to be careful doing that stuff. Again, you, you're trying to really get to their pain points and the emotional center of why they're doing this. And, you know, people, we know that they make their decision on that emotion. So having that acronym there as a reminder, and I hope everyone watching this wrote that down, and you're more cognizant of that in your next appointment, right? Or when you're talking to your sales team, if you feel they're having a more difficult time creating urgency or getting that customer emotionally involved in the decision, it's these little things that can truly make all the difference. And asking questions, there's so many different elements to it, but I always think of the Brian Tracy voice activated spotlight above the kitchen table, where every time I'm talking, the voice activated spotlight spins around and the spotlight's shining on me. And if the spotlight's on me, where's the customer left? In the dark. In the right? dark. If you leave them in the dark too long, you're going to lose them, right? They're going to tune you out altogether, and then the conversation's over. They're going to be looking at their watch, figuring out how they can kick you out of the house. Now, if I keep the spotlight on them, and that comes from being deliberate about asking nice open-ended questions, getting them to open up, and practice true deep listening, all of a sudden, keeping the spotlight on them for long periods of time, most of the time, if, if you can ask enough questions, all of a sudden uh, they're, they're enjoying your company, you're getting all this information and it's helping you obviously influence them in the direction in which you want them to go. Um, there's something I read is, is actually very interesting is called activating the, the client's self-disclosure loop. And this is the importance of 
having one mouth and two ears, right? There's a reason why we have twice as many ears as mouths is human beings actually get pleasure from self-disclosure. And it sounds kind of funny, but they've actually done these studies where they hook up human beings to, or people, suspects or you know subjects, suspects, to high power 3D MRI machines. They found that when human beings self-disclose personal information, they actually get shots of dopamine released in the brain, which gives them that sense of pleasure. Now, why is that important for you to know? And we've all had this experience, whether it's a family gathering or you meet some stranger at a bar somewhere and you're talking to this person and you're looking them in the eye and you're sincere and you're listening and you're asking the right questions because you truly want to get to know more about this person. And all of a sudden they spill the beans on all this personal information. They reveal all this very intimate details and almost to the point of TMI, you're like, oh God, why did this person ever feel the need to tell me that, right? And that's because human beings actually, it makes them feel good. And you can use that to your advantage in sales if you know how to ask the right questions, if you truly practice deep listening. And like you said, if you have those structured questions and then obviously depending on what direction the conversation unfolds, you need to know how to properly layer layering those questions with another follow-up questions to get them to truly open up. And it's amazing what you can accomplish there. Like it really helps you uncover that. And that's what your acronym really does is it helps activate that disclosure loop where you may ask that one question, how that affects their use of the space. And all of a sudden they're spilling the beans on all these other things that you're like, holy moly. <laughs> it's like, you know, opening up a Pandora's box, the floodgates open up. Uh, so very, very. You hit, on it, you hit on it there with the deep listening too. I mean, you can't, you can't, from a trainer's perspective, you can't have a conversation about questioning skills without talking about listening first. Yeah. And there's so many times that we ask questions, but we're not really, we're not really listening. We, we appear to be listening, yeah. but we're not. And I think it was uh, Stephen Covey that always said, you need to listen to understand, not respond. And that's incredibly powerful, but it's incredibly difficult to do. Because to your point, humans have an innate desire to be understood. Yep. And if you and I are communicating, and I can let you know with my body language, with my eyes, with my words, uh, my questions, that I want to understand you. What you have to say is important to me. Mm -hmm. It draws you to me, and you don't even realize it. You know, it's like the old uh, tractor beam in the Star Wars movie just kind of pulls them into the Death Star. And, you know, they're, they're being pulled. They don't realize they're being pulled. It's a good thing for you, but it's incredibly hard to do. Yeah, and it's important throughout the whole process that you're relating to them and demonstrating empathy and showing that you do understand them the whole time. Because I see that where salespeople do a decent job of that maybe throughout the process and the demo. And then all of a sudden they get to the close. And now that whole concept of empathy and relating to them and understanding them goes out the window. Now they're just machine gun closing them, close after close, hammering them. And they wonder why they kick the customer to fight or flight just like that, right? Yeah. Uh, so it's important to demonstrate that, you know, even in the close, for example, one thing I'll train salespeople to do, they'll get the objection right away. They'll deliver price, get the objection. We got to think about it. And I've seen some salespeople at that point say, what do you mean you got to think about it? You said this is what you wanted. You said, <laughs> and all of a sudden they're arguing with the prospect right away. Right. And that's really what they're preparing for. So if you can kind of paint a new pattern, disrupt that whole, because they're bracing for that argument, paint a new pattern and relate to them as a human being, it draws them in like gravity as you just described. So the way I would respond is, hey, I completely understand with an investment like this, it makes sense to think about it. That just means you're an intelligent consumer. I'm the same way. All of a sudden I relate to them and they're like, holy cow, this guy gets it, he understands. And that pulls them in. A lot yeah. of salespeople are afraid to do things like that because they feel, well, if I relate to them or show that I understand them in the close, that's gonna you know, push them away. It actually does the opposite. Yeah, absolutely. And it you know, keeps building that trust, right? That's really what it's all about is we want to keep building upon that trust. Which kind of takes me to another, another topic that I wanted to talk to you about because I talk to a lot of people about the difference between trust and likability. Trust and likability. Now, it goes without saying, we know that we want the customer to like you and trust you. Right? You don't want them to hate you or be irritated with you. You want them to like you. Uh, but we always train that, you know, trust is really the most important ingredient to a sale, especially in the home services business, because a lot of times they're buying a product that's not even made yet. They're investing their hard-earned money for something that 
they won't know if they made the right decision till years after the purchase, right? Now, this all comes back to the concept of rapport, what rapport really is. Um, obviously, we know building rapport is important. Now, what are some things that you feel salespeople can do to be more effective at building rapport, which is really, it, it has to do with trust, understanding, and likability, really all those things. And, you know, it, is it the, the way they act, the way they, the questions that they ask, the way they maintain eye contact? What are some really, uh, some techniques that salespeople can adopt to be more effective at building rapport and building that trust? Yeah, I mean, I think that building rapport is incredibly important in, in home sales. I mean, you're going into somebody's home yeah. that you've never met before, and you're going to ask them for eight, 10, 12, 20, 25, $30,000. Yeah. You know, their hard earned money to justify, to beautify their most prized possession, their home. You know, so if, if you're not from a, from a trust and a rapport, you got to get that built pretty daggone quick. I, I read a book by a guy named uh, Nicholas Boothman, B O O T H M A N. And the book's called How to Make People Like You in 90 Seconds or Less. Nice. He was a fashion photographer of all things. And he wanted to understand body language and how it might make him a better photographer. He identified three keys to instant rapport. Number one is a good handshake. Now, I know we're COVID times now. It might be a fist bump or an elbow bump. And, and I believe if I'm going into somebody's home, I think it brings up a good point. Uh, do you want to shake somebody's hand if they're not comfortable with that? So how do you approach that? I think us as salespeople need to be more proactive. And I may say something, you know, an elbow bumps, the new handshake or, you know, whatever I can do to make them to make them comfortable. His second thing is eye contact. And, you know, I don't know about y'all, but I, I'm kind of a wacky guy. If I meet you for the first time and you avoid my eye contact, my first thought is I don't trust that person, you know. And, and I know in my life, I've met people for the first time and they've looked past me, they've looked up, they've looked down. And my first thought is, I don't trust that person. <laughs> and over time, they've proven themselves to be a trustworthy person. Yeah. You ain't got that kind of time. You're <laughs> in somebody's house for 60, 90 minutes. If you got to spend 15 minutes overcoming a trust issue that you don't even know is there, that's a tough spot to be in. So eye contact is, is incredibly powerful. Uh, a couple of warning signs, though, we need to make eye contact with all influencers of the decision, not just yeah. who we think may make the decision. Mm -hmm. If I'm meeting with two people, three people, I need to make adequate, sufficient eye contact with every single person completely through the encounter. Yeah. The people that make more eye contact are seen as more engaging, more friendly, more trustworthy. So that eye contact's incredibly important. Mm -hmm. His third key to instant rapport is a smile. What happens when you smile at somebody? You get you know, a smile back. <laughs> nine times out of 10, man, they're going to smile back. The, yeah. the joke I tell, and it's half true. Years ago, I did an informal study. I said, for the next two weeks, I'm smiling at everybody I come in contact with. And I'm walking through airports. I'm getting water at the kiosk. I'm getting on the airplane. You know, they, dudes, they thought he's either a serial killer <laughs> or he's running from there to the airport. But almost everybody smiled back at me. Mm -hmm. And what I tell salespeople is, you're standing on somebody's front porch, all fat and happy, got all your samples, you're ready to sell something, and you, you knock on that door. If that door opens up and you're standing there with a smile on your face, you've got about an 85% chance of having that person smile right back at you, yeah. which is a much better way of starting this interaction than a friend. So I always... I always glom on to those three keys to instant rapport. Good handshake or fist bump. When you meet somebody for the first time, you make sure you make solid eye contact and give them a smile. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. We actually have an acronym at Grass University. It's called the SRLR acronym. It's not the, the best acronym, but it, it's kind of like your CIA where it's just a reminder when you're in the house is, of course, smile, look them in the eye, repeat their name, and relax them. And it all ties back into the things that we're talking about. You know, you can, that, that study you did is perfect because one of the things I talk about is you can literally be walking down the street, not having the greatest day, right? And if someone, a total stranger walks by you and hits you with a genuine heartfelt smile, it can literally make your entire day. They say the, the smile is like the gateway to the soul, right? Uh, it, it's a very effective thing. And uh, Dale Carnegie was a big fan of using people's names. He said that's, one of the, the best ways to win over friends and influence people is using their names. It's like sweet music to their ears. 
But then eye contact is so important, uh, obviously maintaining that. And that was a struggle when I, because I did a lot of virtual selling when COVID first hit, you know, talking to people through their iPads or their cell phone. And obviously I'm used to looking at you in the face. Now, when I'm looking at you in the face, I'm not actually looking you in the eye on the camera. So I'm trying to like study your facial expressions and your nonverbal communication while looking here. It's just, it's just wild, but it's so important because I do a lot of virtual trainings, which I'm sure you're involved in as well. And while you're doing those virtual trainings, you got to be staring at that, that little camera there. Uh, and it's the same, same type of concept. It's important to build trust. Because if we're having this podcast here and I'm down here looking around here, not looking you in the eye, it's like, what is this guy? What's wrong with him? He's got something to hide. Yeah. And one thing that I also joke about is now you can overuse any technique, right? So you, too much eye contact is a problem. So what if you never take your eyes off your prospect ever? So you're just like getting samples out of your soft pack. You know, you're, you're writing up your proposal. You just never take, all of a sudden they're, they're freaked out. Like this guy is a serial killer. Uh, so you got you to make sure you know the proper balance. And I don't know what studies you've heard, but I heard like between 60, 75% eye contact is a good ratio, but a majority. Yeah, I'd say you're, yeah, that's, that's a good ballpark. Now, once I, once, once you start getting cognizant of eye contact and you start, you know, I'm going to say studying it, but you're very aware of it. I've also found that there's a, a small percentage of the population that are incredibly uncomfortable with eye contact. Yeah. I mean, you can't make eye contact with them for more than a second when they're looking away. So I think to your point, you're going to find people like that from time to time. You need to let those cats off the hook. You know, there's no sense you follow them around or where they go. You're going to end up, you know, really driving them away from you. But there are, there's a, it's a small percentage, one, two, maybe 3% tops that are like that. You, you'll get that message pretty dang on quick. Yeah. No, so many great topics. And obviously there's a, there's a lot of different articles that people can read. Uh, a lot of your sales training. I know you have a lot of videos, even online on YouTube, if they Google Brian McCauley, you look on YouTube, you got a lot of free content out there. But let me ask you, Brian, if, uh, if people want to get more information on the sales guy, your consulting, or just want to have a conversation, what's the best way for our listeners to reach out to you to get more information? Yeah, the best way would be to my website, Brian with an I, BrianTheSalesGuy.com. Uh, I keep a lot of my uh, written articles out there. I keep a lot of videos out there. You mentioned YouTube. You can search me on YouTube and find out that stuff as well. Um, always reach, you can always find me on the uh, assignment or atrium websites as well and circle back from a communication standpoint. But uh, BrianTheSalesGuy.com will get you most all of my information. Uh, there's a contact button on there. My cell phone's on there. Email's on there. Everything's on there. So if you want to reach out, have a conversation, that'd be the place to get me. Excellent. And uh, the last thing I want to ask you, if you were to give the, the sales viewers one golden piece of advice to, to be, you know, obviously we want shining stars, not shooting stars. We want salespeople to make a, a long lasting career. What would be one piece of advice you'd give the, the listeners to obviously make the most of this profession, this amazing opportunity? I could think of two right off the top of my head. We've already discussed one. Number one would be listening listen to understand, not respond. I think you mentioned earlier about uh, salespeople, uh, being able to help people in sales, but also in life. Yeah. Uh, listen to understand, not respond, to make you a better parent, a better sibling, a better son or daughter, a better church volunteer, a better worker, a better coach, a better leader. So I would say listen to understand would be, would be right up there at the top. And then something we didn't talk about, but I think are important are the words that we use. And I think as salespeople, when we're communicating to our customers, if the words you and your come out of our mouth more than us, we, our, me, my, I, mm-hmm. we're always going to set ourselves up for, for better success. I mean, our job as salespeople is to try to get our, our customer to, to figuratively grab our hand and follow us on this 60 to 90 minute journey where I'm going to learn about your motivations, why you want to do what you want to do and, and how I'm a, just the perfect fit for that. You're not going to want to reach out and grab my hand and follow me on this journey. If all I talk about is me, 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 you yeah. got to know and you got to feel and you got to understand what's in it for you. And that's a philosophy I take when I'm presenting or training to people. And it's also a philosophy that I take when I'm selling because you know, as well as I do as a trainer, we're selling ideas. I'm selling your openness to open your brain and want to accept some ideas. And 
You're not going to want to grab my hand and follow me on that journey if all I talk about is me, me, me. So the words you and your incredibly powerful words in the sales game. Yeah, it's excellent advice. And, you know, that that really comes back to sales really being a lifestyle. It's not something you want to rely on turning on or off just when you're with a prospect. This is something that you want to practice using these techniques and strategies of, you know, listening to understand and using language like you and your versus me and myself and I all the time uh, in and out of work. Right. So, you know, as you go about your day, again, whether you're raising your children, you know, you're socializing with friends, family or coworkers. This is stuff you want to you want to start practicing in and out of work. Of course, being clean and organized. Your appearance matters. All these things, eye contact, these are things that you need to practice in and out of work. And of course, um, smile. Wear a dang smile, right? So there's a lot of amazing things happening in the world right now. Uh, pay attention to the brighter things in life. Uh, obviously, smiles go miles. And uh, amazing show here. Brian, I appreciate all the, the valuable insight, the, the free golden nuggets. And again, more information, make sure you reach out to BrianTheSalesGuy.com. I promise you, even just Googling him, uh, you're going to find a, a boatload of amazing information. And again, you can tell that it comes from real experience. So with that in mind, uh, that was the completion episode 10. Yes, I am a closer podcast. And as always at Grass University, yes, you are a closer. <laughs>